travel industry is beginning to see signs of how the medium term is going to look in terms of the post-pandemic future. You're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the National in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. With me is my co-host, Kelsey Warner. Before we start, let me ask you to subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your audio content. Kelsey, hi. Hi, Mustafa. So we're talking about the future of uh, travel, which includes airlines, hotels, business travel, tourism. uh, And it seems we're beginning to see a little bit of what it might look like. Right. Contours are beginning to emerge about what sort of business decisions airlines, hotels, and the like are beginning to make. And those decisions will shape our coming reality as we begin to hit the road and the skies. So we've spoken to Sadiq Gilani, who's a travel industry expert and a lecturer at Stanford University. You've you've watched his speech at, at Stanford where he's predicted uh, uh, the changes, right? I did my homework, as always. Um, yeah. So he talks about you know, traveler confidence, frequent flyer programs, the airline industry at a tipping point, question mark for sustainability, our expectations around PCR testing and masks in the longer term, as well as just predictions around pricing and what we can expect from that perspective. Let's listen to that discussion with Sadiq Gilani now. Sadiq, I'd be I'd be really interested to know um, when it comes to the how we look at the future of travel, what trends there are right now that you can see that perhaps indicate what that future might look like? Not the theory, but what will actually be the practice? Sure. Um, I think the first thing which is, is most interesting, um, especially for your, for your le- listeners and readers, is th- as the recovery comes back, there's going to be an imbalance um, of capacity, so meaning uh, seats and hotel rooms, but also cruise cabins. Um, because you know, most uh, airlines obviously have gone through an unprecedented level of disruption and you know, grounded permanently, um, in some cases, 20 to 30% of their, of their fleet. And even then, as demand starts coming back um, at the end of this year and into next year, it's going to take them a long time to start kind of build back to where they were before. So that means that at least for the next couple of years, we're likely to see much higher airfares coming globally uh, as a result. Now, if you look at hotel rooms, it's actually it's quite different. I mean, very few hotels globally have actually permanently shut down. So that capacity hasn't been taken out. And so what that means, you're likely to see um, cheaper hotel rooms um, because the demand still will not come back. And um, particularly the business traveler, which is a huge component of, of both uh, sectors, but particularly on hotels, uh, it's not coming back. Um, you're going to have to, you're going to see that uh, hotels are going to have to discount um, to be able to attract people back in. Um, and also there's an imbalance. So there may not be um, air service as much as before into certain destinations, which again means that the hotels will uh, have to, to discount. Um, so I think this kind of imbalance in travel is is uh, is one to watch over the next couple of years. It's interesting what you say about the shape of sort of our travel budgets changing. So airfare has been relatively cheap, while maybe accommodations have been more expensive in recent years. So changing shape of pricing. When we talk about your an aviation guy, when we talk about the planes themselves, are you seeing anything in terms of changes in the last year? I know locally Etihad and Emirates have extended more like of a leisure sort of economy class with slightly more leg room. It's an incremental improvement. But what other things in planes from a trend spotting perspective are you seeing? Yeah, I think that the biggest thing is that with the hassle of travel, which we've seen 
post-pandemic is still likely to continue for some time. So already during the pandemic, we've seen um, people traveling um, for twice the length that they were before. So on average of nine days instead of four days. Um, and they're taking obviously fewer trips, but uh, obviously then, then longer trips. So this has quite a big um, impact on the way people travel. So, and this is, as I said, it's a trend we're seeing already. It's, it's here now and it's likely to continue at least for a couple more years as you know, PCR tests and masks are still likely to be around for, for quite a while longer. And what that means is um, you're likely, we're likely to see that travelers are going to uh, be more um, considerate about where they're traveling. They're going to be looking for more meaningful trips and, and traveling with purpose because obviously they're traveling uh, less and, and for longer. Um, and it also means that they're going to be willing to pay more uh, for luxury and splurge. Um, so back to your comment, you know, we're seeing you know, premium cabins um, you know, in, in more demand than ever as people are willing to pay more to have a bit more space, which is compensating uh, because those seats are available because business travelers are not flying. Um, so this requires airlines to think quite carefully about pricing models to get leisure travelers to, to replace the, the, the business traveler in the front of the, of the plane. But this actually seems to be working quite well right now. Sadiq, uh, the, the pandemic obviously halted a lot of travel for people. And there, there was a period when sort of staycations became very, very popular, um, almost a buzzword now. Um, and that experience will, as you, as you quite rightly say, change the way people think about how they travel and where they travel. So this idea that it will be longer uh, trips, perhaps, uh, than before, instead of you know the city weekend uh, jumping off um, there, and then it might be you know some something more circumspect that it's that one big holiday a year instead of several small ones. But with the with the safety protocols, with the fact that um, tickets are becoming more expensive, uh, have become more expensive in certain cases, hotel rooms may be cheaper. Is there is there not a risk of kind of solidifying these? these changes because the travel industry itself is is unable to be more flexible to be able to look at this um this crisis as an opportunity i mean is is that a fair assessment of how people within the industry are looking at this as a way let's just survive till things are back to normal or are there genuinely some creative responses to what's going on yeah i mean i think the for example the whole move towards um enabling uh, flexible travel so the removal of change and cancellation fees and refunds this kind of flexibility um, uh, will be uh, hopefully staying for, for a while longer, which I think is quite uh, adapting to the d- new business environment. And again, those, those kind of rules were put in place because it allows uh, travel companies to distinguish between business and leisure travelers. And given that business travel is still going to take quite a while to come back, the need to, uh, let's say, price discriminate and have conditions, um, fair conditions, travel conditions, to be able to uh, have different products to cater for those two markets is kind of blurred. Um, I think the piece around staycations is interesting, and I think staycations are likely to stay for quite a while longer. Um, again, because people are traveling less internationally, maybe, but um, staycations as a kind of substitute are likely to stay around. And people have discovered there's a lot more interesting places um, closer to home than they may have uh, given attention to in the past. I think there's an also an interesting piece around vaccinations. Um, that's the first vacation people would take after they're vaccinated. We're seeing those first flights and those first trips after having, in many cases, people haven't traveled for you know, one or in some cases, probably 18 months before their first trip. 
And that first trip will be very memorable. Um, and linked to that, actually, um, is the overall brand of Dubai. And it's, it's very interesting um, that Dubai has become such a popular destination during the pandemic from having stayed open. And all of the attention on, on social media um, is likely to keep that brand of Dubai going for at least, again, a couple more years and provide quite an interesting boom to travel to the UAE. Um, also related to this uh, comment around vaccination. So again, if, if Dubai is one of those first destinations that people are eager to go to because they've seen it all over social media um, whilst they've been in lockdown, um, people will remember Dubai. So I think also, in a way, Dubai has really come of age um, as a destination. Um, for example, I personally know many friends from Europe who were supposed to come to Dubai for a week during the pandemic and ended up staying you know, for weeks or months um, because they realized that... Uh, there was something quite unique about uh, Dubai being an open destination with great weather and uh, beaches and everything else and being able to now work remotely, which is, again, another trend I think is set to continue, that many countries will enable employees to work remotely for either weeks at a time um, or, or um, for certain days of, of the week, which, again, enables people to look for a whole different type of product. Right. So I want to jump into this whole other product idea. So it seems like there's a few emerging kind of traveler profiles, those who are, you know, planning their vacations down to the very minute detail, like a year in advance, so they can go on these big two-week boondoggles that they'll treasure for a lifetime to come, or the spontaneous traveler who wants to just leave at a moment's notice. And then these digital nomads, these remote workers, how might frequent flyer programs start to change to cater to these emerging new archetypes that we're starting to see? And do you think that these archetypes are here to stay, or is this a shorter term, you know, once we're, we're over the crisis that we're still in, that, that these will diminish? Yeah, you raise a couple of very good points in there. So the first point you were making is around this kind of more last-minute travel. Um, what we're seeing actually right now during the pandemic is that 75% of bookings are either made within seven days or more than 365 days in advance. So you're seeing this erosion of the middle. Um, and so this has, again, huge implications for, for, for travel companies um, and this kind of more drive towards uh, last minute travel is also being enabled by travel companies because you know, prices are, are not going up in the same way as they were within seven days of, of, of travel. So, you know, again, the, the travel, travel players have all um, adapted to that. I think this has you know, major implications for frequent flyer programs, um, you know, frequent flyer and frequent traveler programs. Um, McKinsey are predicting a 20% long-term reduction in business travel, so it won't come back. And that's largely you know, people traveling for the day who those kind of uh, trips are now replaced by, by Zoom. Um, but even in the next you know, 12 months, you know, at least a 50% reduction in, in business travel. And so the typical road warrior um, which is the backbone of most airline and hotel loyalty programs, um, is, is really diminished. So I think this requires you know, all um, airline and hotel loyalty programs to really look and see how they can be reinvented. And instead of looking for uh, travel profiles and, and, and you know, travel volumes, to instead be looking at overall spend and spend um, among partners, spend on credit cards, and how much um, the uh, the travel partner can can play to that and benefit from that. Now, the other point you're asking is it's around these these kind of archetypes. So, 
I guess I touched upon you know this you know, the road warrior as an archetype again being more diminished, particularly for the big global companies. Um, maybe a bit more in this region around more small and medium entrepreneurs. Um, th these could still still come back faster. Um, this new archetype of work from went anywhere is very interesting, and also again for for the UAE as a product, um, it's become um, highly popular, and that one could stay actually as a new product for a little while. We're also seeing a new archetype around leisure, the combination of business and leisure. And again, because of the hassle of travel, people are saying, okay, well, if I'm going to travel somewhere for a work meeting, I'll also combine that with my vacation and uh, have that longer trip, but kind of mix both the, the business purpose and uh, the, the, the leisure purpose. And to give you again a number around that, 82% um, of leaders expect their employees to be able to work remotely globally. And that's a Gartner survey. And that's post the pandemic. Um, so again, it gives you it gives you a good feeling that, that some of these archetypes, particularly around around business traveler, um, will be will be staying. It, it almost feels as if travel is the the tip of the is it the spear or the iceberg, but something something bigger in the sense that you talk about these archetypes, they're not just theoretical. People live their lives in such a way, and travel enables them to live their lives in that way, and. A destination or a location, rather, of where people would choose to live, often transport links, ability to travel three, four times a year, being close enough to airports. If that is changing, then why won't the rest change as well? And so I feel like what travel is indicating to us is there'll be a period of upheaval uh, for people personally, professionally, socially over the next couple of years as, as we kind of get into these trends. Because that somebody, the road warrior you talk about, somebody who is used to traveling more than once a month for work, maybe even more than that, looks at their life very differently if they're no longer doing that, that kind of frequency when it comes to business travel. And then all kinds of other decisions cascade from that. So, I mean, I, I know you're a travel expert. I know you lecture at Stanford about the travel industry, but philosophically, I'm asking you. Always the philosopher, Mustafa. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> philosophically, I, I mean, you know, where, how do you see these, these trends playing out in a, in, a broader, in a broader way? Yeah, I think you raise a, a really good point because um, what, we, you know, what we see now is people have made permanent moves. So, for example, property markets across the world, you've seen uh, people setting up more inner city apartments and moving out to, to suburbs, getting more space um, because, you know, they're not commuting into uh, cities. And, you know, I've seen that in London, New York, we've seen Dubai, um, you know, markets around that people have voted with their feet. And, you know, the last 12 months was one of the busiest um, property uh, transactions markets um, of, of recent, uh, you know, life in, the, in my lifetime. And, so interesting to see. So people have really decided to really sell up um, and move, and you know, in that you know quest for for having you know um, more space. Um, to just give you a really example, that in just in Dubai, to, um, you know, demand for property on the Palm um, and villas across the the city, you know, are, are skyrocketing. And um, um, again, we're seeing this in, in markets across the world. So this is a this is a trend which will stay because. You know, if people are just going to the office, you know, every couple of weeks um, or, or, or less, then it, it makes sense to uh, invest and, and stay 
in a place with uh, with more space and it's a bit further out. And bear a bit more of a commute. I'm wondering, okay, Mustafa's the uh, philosopher. I'll be the romantic here. I do wonder, okay, so the end of business travel, do you see a boon or a renaissance for tourism? I think I'm starting to see commentary that people will travel to places that reputationally live and survive off of tourism and will want to go back and support those places that survive on tourism. Are you thinking that because the pandemic, we saw this sort of common cause globally amongst our fellow human, that we're going to see a, a renaissance period for, for, the, for the common tourist? Yeah, I think that's right, exactly. And um, the, the, the market is calling it revenge travel, which I, I personally don't like the, the terminology, but you know, there is so much pent-up demand for people to get out and travel again. And obviously, you know, they can only do that now as we get into summer, um, depending on where destinations are open. But, you know, people have been in many cases in Europe, for example, under lockdown for, for a year. And, you know, they're desperate to go back and, you know, go back to places that they know. And um, so I think this is, this is, I mean, obviously great for tourism globally that this will come back. And in my prediction, it will come back very strongly. Um, and in some ways, some partially compensate for that reduction in business travel. But again, don't forget, most travel players, hotels and airlines, make at least half their profits from from the business traveler. So, you know, from a from an industry perspective, obviously, it's uh, it's still going to be going to be challenging. But obviously, from a consumer perspective, um, it's it's you know it's it's helpful and reassuring to know that uh, tourism will come back and it's going to come back strongly. We, we talk about safety protocols, which are here to stay for some time because of COVID. We all got used to that after 9-11 with new security protocols. Um, and I guess we'll get used to the safety protocols. But confidence in travel, for that to come back, what what do you think the airlines need to do? What what particularly areas are, are will be a focus to get the tourists back as quickly as possible, to get the business traveler back as quickly as possible? Are there any particular areas that you think will will undergo some change? Well, in terms of this piece around reassuring travelers, just to give an example of, of how the Emirates have thought about it, is, um, you know, obviously both actually Emirates and Etihad, you know, being, being leaders and having all of the, uh, all employees vaccinated, um, still having very high cabin cleaning uh, protocols. Um, We've got now the first biometric contactless airport experience in Dubai globally, um, and then y- y- those those are the kinds of signals um, which give uh, travelers more confidence to to take those those trips. And I agree, people will get used to the protocol of, of masks, even if it's if it's a hassle during a flight. Um, again, I think people, you know, with with the ability to travel and and still be able to travel, and they'll be willing to put up with that uh, inconvenience. The big uncertainty is around COVID testing for how long that's going to go on. And again, that has a big impact because, again, if you're a family of four and you have to get two sets of COVID tests, it just it changes the, the economics and also the, the hassle factor. And again, I still, I'm still predicting that's going to be around for a while. So I think that's the only main, main drag. And that's obviously being um, requested by different governments. And so that's not really in the airline's control. And the airlines are effectively implementing what, whatever the government requirements are. Um, because they, they say that's uh, those are the standards which are being set. I'm curious, in the last year, there's been fever pitch almost on the airline industry at some point soon trying to reach a sustainability tipping point. Uh, you've pointed out that Google will soon display emissions data during our flight searches. 
which would hopefully be some kind of, you know, nudge to possibly buy carbon offsets or maybe choose a more like efficient itinerary. But speaking more broadly, are there any trends you're seeing in actual research and development investments or from startups that might provide actual meaningful disruption on this front? Like we talk about biofuels, we talk about hydrogen both a lot in the industry, but what is actually going to move the needle? And are you seeing anything that's actually exciting? Yes, exactly. So this is exactly what I was um, referring to in my uh, Stanford speech. I think we are at a tipping point when it comes to sustainability. And um, the reason why the Google move is interesting, and by Google showing in flight search comparison that the amount of emissions is that will start nudging people because they may not realize that, for example, a business class flight has three times as many emissions as an economy flight. Um, And obviously a nonstop flight um, has, has far fewer emissions than a connecting flight. So I think this will start nudging people. And obviously when, when Google does it, um, others will also uh, do it as, as well. And we're seeing actually, even during the pandemic, I mean, many airlines are taking a, a leading role and, and um, introducing quite aggressive targets around emissions reductions. But I think what is most interesting in terms of on the horizon now is, is hydrogen. And we're seeing a regional aircraft, smaller regional aircraft being converted um, to enable hydrogen propulsion. Um, but as that uh, gets traction, there's now a purpose-built regional aircraft uh, coming on stream. And um, as that then starts expanding up into a bigger capacity, say up to 20 passengers, um, that, that obviously provides a much more interesting uh, proposition for the airlines and for passengers to be able to travel. Um, so I, th- I think those are the kind of more immediate things that are coming you know, in, in the next few years. Um, There's also interesting um, developments around aero mobility. So eVTOL, electric vertical takeoff and landing, and otherwise known as uh, flying cars or flying taxis. There's been a huge amount of investment now going into aero mobility, um, which can also play out uh, in terms of being, again, being a more greener form of transport of getting around, even more uh, friendly than than traveling by car. And as that technology uh, uh, again, it's getting this level of investment. We're going to see a lot of new players emerging, offering these uh, these new solutions. It was curious to me. I mean, you've also made the point that 40 airlines globally have gone bankrupt in the last year. It's a very small percentage of the global total. But in its place, there have been some startups, some disruptors. Exciting for to hear from you, eVTOL even mentioned and Hydrogen even mentioned as in the offing in the next several years. But I'm curious, too, who are going to be the winners out of, out of this, you know, this crisis? There, there are always winners. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, the, the crisis has affected airlines differently across the world. And um, I think, the, the, first of all, the immediate winners um, are the, the airlines with large, with large domestic markets, particularly the U.S. carriers. Now, the U.S. carriers were also the strongest coming into the crisis. Um, they had returned really around their performance, uh, restructured themselves, had very strong profitability and strong balance sheets coming into the crisis. Through the crisis, they got um, an unprecedented amount of, of government support and grants. I think it's $40 billion of grants um, um, in terms of uh, wage grants, which was paid directly um, to employees. And then um, on, top of, uh, on top of that, the U.S. domestic market is the biggest air travel market, and that has been reopened for quite a while, which provides the airlines uh, of the U.S. a kind of cash flow stream to, to get through the crisis. And just to compare that to, to Europe, 
where everything has been closed for will end up being you know probably 12 to 18 months um, they haven't had that uh, source of, re of revenue because Europe has decided to go on a more fragmented approach and so yeah the US carriers um, have a have a really a big advantage uh, coming out of the crisis and um, the um, the LCC the low cost carriers also have an advantage um, because they're generally able to connect uh, obviously shorter destinations more immediate um, and the the business model was more profitable in general going in um, which makes it easier to raise money so those will be the short-term winners um, US carriers and low-cost carriers the longer-term winners I see coming out of the crisis to be those who could maintain a large fleet network because there'll be a shortage of capacity so anyone that's able to come back strongly with capacity um, will actually do very well because they'll be able to earn good returns in the next couple of years. And so I think about the likes of, of, of Emirates as, as a good example of that um, because having strong ownership plus a strong balance sheet and the ability to maintain the whole fleet, um, to put it, put it back in, um, whereas most airlines around the world have had to permanently reduce 20 to 30% of their capacity, um, will give those carriers with strong balance sheets uh, an advantage. And just to give you some context why balance sheets matter now more than ever, is that uh, the, the debt burden of the industry of the whole has doubled um, already now post-pandemic. And it will take the industry as a whole 10 years to repay based on their free cash flow that they had pre-pandemic. The reason I asked you about winners was because I wanted to know where are we going to be looking for innovation? Because if there are, if there are losers, there's not going to be much R&D coming from those who are flagging. So looking to the low-cost or shorter-distance travelers or airlines and U.S., I think that that's a really interesting point because that's got to follow the money to see where the innovation will be coming from. Yeah, again, I think that the innovation will come with those from strong balance sheets because, again, because of this debt burden, most airlines around the world have kind of suspended all investment when it comes to technology, innovation, um, because obviously they've been fighting for their survival. So those which come out with a stronger balance sheet will have the funds to be able to invest in, in, in innovation. So again, US carriers and, and Middle Eastern carriers will have that advantage. And so they'll be the ones to watch when it comes to, to driving uh, innovation. That was Sadiq Galani, travel industry expert and lecturer at Stanford University. Uh, Kelsey Warner, thanks so much for being with us. Good to be here. Thank you all for listening. All that remains is to thank our production team, Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan. Please do join us again next time.